You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that am. Well, there's been a lot of talk about squalls lately. I'll be honest, I have heard of the word squall maybe like once or twice in my life. But um, that one took me by surprise. I didn't have to be outside, so I chose not to. I probably should have manned up and been like, dude, you got to go stand in it for like a second. I've been 35 years on this planet. I've never seen one. I may never see one again. You never know, right? Um, but there was something just demonic about the whole thing, and I was like, I'm not going out there. I'm not. I, I think if you walk out, there's a portal that takes you straight to hell. So I'm not doing it. I'm not positive that 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 that's real. But um, the whole squall thing just kind of took me by surprise as it was, and I was learning new things every second. And I didn't want to walk outside and learn one other thing, like, oh, you didn't know that it unleashed um, dragons. How did you not know that? You seem like you must be an idiot. Yeah, definitely stay inside when the squalls are around. Good to know. Thank you. But no, it was, um, what, two days ago, we were getting warnings that, hey, tomorrow, yesterday, you're going to be having real high winds, like wind warnings. Like, oh, that's that sucks. But, you know, it's going to start heating up, so I'll take it. I'll take wind, and then it's going to be 50 on Sunday. 100%, I'll take that all day. Just keep my brand new roof intact, and we're good. You can even take the Weber. Just blow it across the street. I'm getting a new one one of these days anyways. Actually, it would hasten that a little bit. If you could do that, in fact, I should go check. Maybe it's gone. That would be awesome. As long as one of my stupid neighbors doesn't be like, hey, anybody missing a Weber? Just keep your mouth shut, all right? No, nobody's missing a Weber. It's an 18-inch Weber. Keep it. Nobody wants that. Except maybe maybe you want it. I don't know. But anyways, um, maybe a few hours before, they start talking about a snow squall you know, and you start getting like the blaring alarms. I'm like, that seems unnecessary for windy snow, right? It's like, oh, it's windy. Also, it's going to be snowing. Like, so what? But you also don't really think about how that impacts visibility um, when you're driving. And that sounds like it'd be a nightmare. Here's the thing that freaked me out, though. Not only does it sound like your house is about to buckle, but I, out of nowhere, there was a flash in the sky. And I thought, what the heck was that? It sure looked a lot like lightning, but I know it wasn't lightning because it's February. Lightning is what happens when it's raining outside. There's never been lightning in winter in the history of the universe, I'm pretty sure. I I have never looked it up, but I don't need to because, again, I've been around for a while now. I've seen lots of lightning. I've seen lots of Februaries. I've seen lots of snow. I've seen lots of cold. Those two things just don't go together. And I looked outside and I looked around my family and said, was that lightning? Of course, nobody was paying attention. I'm like, there was just something flashed. And then here comes the thunder, and it was a long rumble of thunder that lasted like 20 seconds. My family still couldn't hear it because it took my daughter 25 seconds to find the mute button on the remote and turn down her movie that is way too loud, and we told her to turn down 10 times, and she just won't do it because she claims she can't hear, and she keeps inching it back up. But I heard it. I heard thunder, and I saw lightning, and you can call me crazy if you want, but I saw it, and I googled it. I didn't click on any of the articles, but it seems 
based on the title headlines, that it can be a thing. Snow lightning. And I saw it. And as soon as I saw that, I said, I'm not going outside. In fact, I will never leave my house until I get an official all clear. I don't know if they're even going to send an all clear, but I will not leave my house until I get word from the official weather, um, whoever the, the, the Dr. Fauci of weather is, that guy. Got to tell me what's up. Not like local newsman. No, forget you. I want a government official, high-ranking military member. Maybe if the president can just like relax with Ukraine. Like I know you want to just stare at that situation all day, but tell me about the squall and tell me I'm going to be okay. By the way, you know how else I'm stupid? And I don't need to tell you this, but I'm going to. It didn't dawn on me until about a week ago when I'm looking at the Russia-Ukraine thing. I'm like, yeah, but that's way over there. Like that sucks for them for sure. And it might suck for us if they continue to push and push. You know, if they, if they get Ukraine and they're like, wow, that was easy. The West didn't do anything because they're a bunch of cowards. Let's, uh, let's see what's next on the list. And China's like, oh yeah, do this. Then, then it might become a problem where we got to intervene. But it's still way over there. Dude, we're neighbors with Russia. Such an idiot. We're basically touching. <laughs> I forgot Russia's massive. And we're, we're pretty massive too. So yeah, that kind of messed me up a little bit when that realization hit me. But anyways, welcome to the Packernet Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. This is a podcast where eventually we talk about the Green Bay Packers. Usually. Anyways, it's been another somewhat eventful day in the news. Um, some rather sad and depressing news. One of our favorite coaches um, that was very underappreciated, Mike Smith, is apparently leaving for other opportunities. Um, it's kind of a weird announcement. Usually, the other opportunity is announced. I don't know what the secret is, um, unless, of course, he doesn't know yet. He just doesn't want to be the Packers outside linebacker coach anymore, which was kind of weird because it reminded me very much of the quote I said yesterday about Clements when he left. That he was going to leave to pursue other passions or whatever. And in that case, seemingly was not football. It was uh, fly fishing or something. I don't know what he did for two years. But it was just a very cryptic, like, yeah, he's going to go. He's got other stuff to do, so he's got to pursue a, an opportunity. And even weirder than that, we found out who our replacement outside linebacker coach is going to be in about five seconds before we found out what Mike Smith's opportunity is. This feels like a, a prime territory for some kind of a conspiracy theory because it's any, anytime there's something that's a little bit off, you know what I mean? Like not the exact status quo. Like the way that this should work is we get an announcement that um, Mike Smith has been hired as um, defensive coordinator maybe or something in between the two. I don't really know what. Outside linebacker coach slash assistant defensive coordinator, whatever, you know? And then it's like, oh, shoot. But that's not how it happened. In fact, it's even a little bit weirder. According to Rob Domofsky of ESPN, reports that outside linebackers coach Mike Smith is leaving the team. Per the report, the departure had been in discussion for a while and that Smith will be pursuing other opportunities. Now, again, what does that mean? How do you discuss the fact that you're going to get hired by the 49ers as their, you know, run game coordinator for a month? What is that? That Right? That doesn't make sense. That's not how that works. You get hired and then you say, hey, I found a new job. And then they say, okay, best of luck. Then it gets reported that he got a new job and then they go find a new coordinator. You don't discuss this for a month. In other words, when he says he wants to leave and pursue other opportunities, he doesn't have anything lined up. He just doesn't want to be here, <laughs> apparently. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe it has something to do. We've had... Um, you know, he was a, a Mike Patton guy, and maybe we brought Joe Barry over, and there's a difference in philosophy. Joe Barry wants certain things, things done a certain way that Mike Smith isn't on board with, or he feels like he's not being utilized properly. He feels like he can't grow here. I don't know. 
I know the guy is a wizard when it comes to pass rushers. Again, we've talked about what he did over in Kansas City when he had two guys that were just useless and turned them into two of the best pass rushers in football. Then he comes to Green Bay, and Zadarius, who was was good, but not, you know, the greatest in football, became the best in football. And Preston, at least, at the very least this past year, was a freakishly dynamic player. And look what he's done with Rashawn Gary becoming a premier pass rusher. And by the way, Whitney Merciless, who's been useless, no offense, but has been, let's say, less productive over the last, I don't know, four or five years, suddenly became a pretty prominent pass rusher, at least in the limited amount of time that we've seen him. So his resume speaks for itself, but for whatever reason, there's been discussions for a while now, and those discussions have revolved around him maybe not being super happy here. And again, if there's discussions, the Packers presumably are saying, you know, are trying to get him to stay. You don't have discussions about, hey, I'm leaving. That's not a discussion. That's that's a resignation. A discussion is something along the lines of, I'm not happy with this, that, or the other thing. I would like to see this. And there's discussions and Matt LaFleur talks about what he wants and Gutekunst talks about what he wants and Joe Barry talks about his vision and all these things. And at the end of the day, Mike Smith says, mm, no, not really feeling it. And then, of course, there's the other, um, the fact that we did hire a guy relatively quickly, a man by the name of Jason Rebrovich, um, who, well, I think we're, we've met our quota with uh, Ukrainian jokes, but, you know, it's a very Eastern European-sounding name. They hired him five seconds later, so um, I guess you can kind of go down the conspiracy tract of saying that he was fired. Which isn't impossible, because if we if we assume the first part of what I said, where there was some kind of a disagreement, there was some kind of a thing, I don't really know, it may have been Mike Smith that said, okay, I'm leaving, or it may have just been the Packers deciding that this is an irreconcilable... Let's, let's drop that word, and let's just say that um, they couldn't come to an agreement, and the Packers decided that maybe this wasn't going to work out. And so they started looking for different outside linebackers coach. They found Jason Rebrovich and then told Mike Smith that we think we're going to go in a different direction. And then their public announcement was he's going to pursue some other opportunity because they, you know, didn't say, yeah, we fired him because, I don't know, he's kind of being a jerk about stuff, trying to tell us what to do all the time. But Mr. Rebrovich was most recently the defensive line coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2019 and 2020. He was the assistant defensive line coach for Jacksonville the two previous seasons and spent four years with the Bills before joining the Jaguars. The Packers have made a number of changes to their offensive and special team staffs this offseason, but this was the first change on the defensive side of the ball. Um, The other thing I should probably throw out there relatively quickly is a lot of the defensive staff is not our defensive coordinator's staff, and this includes Mike Smith. And again, Mike's doing a great job, but it's kind of at the behest of the defensive coordinator. Um, I mean, not always, but you can understand him kind of saying, I kind of want the guys that I want. You know, there's, there's something that I need based on the way we do things. And, and, you know, Mike Smith is very good at certain things, but I really need this from these guys and this from these guys. And maybe Mike isn't the best at those particular things. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just throwing things around. But there's some kind of incompatibility here, seemingly. Because again, the idea that he got hired away doesn't seem to line up with the information that we have. Where did he go? Why are they talking about him getting hired somewhere else for a month before he got hired? I, you know what I mean? That doesn't really line up for me. But anyways, we might as well take a minute to talk about Mr. Rebrovich. Um, started cutting his chops in uh, 2001, so he's not one of those, uh, you know, started in 1977 type guys. But uh, defensive line and strength coach at Sunny Cortland, whatever that is, 2004 Concord University defensive line and head strength and conditioning coach. 
2005 to 2007, Ferris State University defensive line and uh, head strength and conditioning coach. Went back to sunny Cortland with an uh, opportunity to be the defensive coordinator from 2008 to 2010. Um, It's kind of fun for me to go through this and just see that progression. You know what I mean? How they kind of like do the same thing at bigger universities, and then they take a step back at a bigger opportunity like defensive coordinator and then use that to move forward. So then he becomes a defensive assistant for Syracuse, 2011-2012. And then he gets noticed, gets into the NFL, defensive quality control coach. That's like bottom barrel defensive stuff, you know, kind of getting your feet wet. 2013-2014, he gets promoted to assistant defensive line coach. Then the very next year, 2015 with the Bills, outside linebacker coach. 2016, gets another promotion with the Buffalo Bills, defensive line coach. So, I mean, that's, that's, he's moving straight up, right? 2017, he gets picked up by the Jaguars. In 2017-2018, he is the assistant defensive line coach. That I don't fully understand why he took a step back. Maybe Buffalo, that was when Buffalo did their whole changeover, so he got let go or whatever. So he's kind of got to start over. Sometimes you get derailed a little bit that way. But uh, very quickly after 2019, he is the defensive line coach, 2019 and 2020. Comes to Green Bay Packers as the outside linebackers coach. So he's primarily been defensive line coach, but the point is he has experience with pass rushers. And the cool thing is he's going to be more specialized. Defensive line is defensive line. Um, you know, if you're, if you're talking about, for example, certain teams like the Buffalo Bills and Jacksonville Jaguars, if you say defensive line, you're not, you don't mean defensive tackles. You mean defensive line, meaning interior as well as exterior. You're dealing with the pass rush, the whole line, right? Whereas here we're saying, don't even worry about Kenny. We got a guy for that. Your job is the pass rushers. You are the pass rusher guy. So it's going to give him the opportunity to be that kind of a guy. And again, he did that back in 2015 with the Buffalo Bills. Um, and it's just something he's familiar with, with, uh, the, the, with pass rushers. Going a little bit more in depth, if you go over to the, uh, the Packers page that they have up about him, which again, they put this together pretty quick. It feels like this has kind of been in the works for a while, like this whole transition thing, which again is kind of weird. I mean, the, the fact that they hired this guy three seconds after we found out Mike Smith was leaving and they've already got this whole thing put together. Um, anyways, they provide a couple different highlights usually of their resume, trying to talk their guys up. So we'll go through that real quick. Um, kind of talks about how he started, which we already talked about, but he says, Rebrovich held multiple positions with the Bills, serving as defensive line coach in 2016, outside linebackers in 2015, uh, assistant D-line 2014, and as blah, blah, blah. In his four seasons with Buffalo, the team was tied for uh, number three in the NFL over that span with 171 sacks, highlighted by a franchise record 57 sacks in 2013. So that ain't bad. Rebrovich served as the Jaguars assistant D-line coach 2017-2018. Campbell became the first player in team history to post 10-plus sacks in back-to-back seasons. In 2017, the Jaguars ranked number two in the league with 55 sacks, the most, uh, the second most in a season in team history, as three defensive linemen earned Pro Bowl honors, Campbell, Ngakwe, and Malik Jackson. So that ain't bad. By the way, remember when we talked about Ngakwe? What I had said is he's got this really small span of being good, but he hasn't been since. That's the span. In 2019, Rebrovich oversaw the development of defensive end Josh Allen, who led all NFL rookies and broke the single-season franchise record for rookies with 10.5 sacks on his way to earning all-rookie honors from PFWA. Rebrovich also turned offensive line Calais Campbell, who was named to his third consecutive Pro Bowl in 2019, and defensive end Yannick Ngakwe, who was the only player in the league in 2019 with eight-plus sacks. But wait, what? That's got to be fake. I got to look that up. The only guy with eight plus sacks? Anyway, oh, oh, here, has a comma. We'll just keep reading. I See, I, I don't even care that there's a comma. It's like, wait, that's wrong. Just let it finish. With eight plus sacks, multiple forced 
fumbles and an interception return for a touch. Well, duh. There's three guys that are defensive linemen with an interception. Anyways, Rebrovich brings 20 years of coaching experience to the Packers, including eight seasons in the NFL with the Buffalo Bills and the Jacksonville Jaguars. He most recently served as Jacksonville's defensive line coach in 2019 and 2020. The Green Bay Packers hired Jason Rebrovich as outside linebacker coach on February 18th, 2022. By the way, always read these things in reverse. It's much more fun that way. If we zoom out or zoom in, I guess, a little bit more and look at this from PFF and the DVOA standpoint, it's hard to know exactly where to start or how much credit to give, but it's I guess it's still worth looking at. For example, um, when he came to Buffalo Bill in 2013, he was the defensive quality control coach. Am I supposed to give him credit for the defense or what? You know what I mean? I mean, we have a defensive coordinator, but it also, it kind of works the other direction. If we can just pause and look at it from that perspective, we always look at, you know, if it was the defensive coordinator, we wouldn't want to know in 2013 how good the Buffalo Bills did, right? But there's also, on top of the players, there's also the head coach and there's also the um, defensive line coach and cornerback coach and uh, linebacker coach and safety coach and passing game coach and the quality control guys. And I mean, all these things do factor in a little bit. So it's a little bit of a futile exercise, but it's still interesting to look at. And again, you look at Mike Smith, I would, I would stand by that guy any day of the week based on a small sample size of a great track record with pass rushers. And really that's what brought me to be excited about him coming to Green Bay. So that assessment apparently wasn't too far off. But I guess just to get, get an idea of, of how things, these things worked, if we go back to uh, 2012, the year before Jason showed up for the Buffalo Bills, um, Buffalo ranked defensively 26th, which is hard to imagine because it feels like they always have a good defense, but they ranked 26th overall. In 2013, when he shows up as the quality control guy, along with uh, presumably some other people, uh, Buffalo is sitting fourth. <laughs> Again, I understand that's not, you know, him entirely, but that's, that's a jump, man. Now, in terms of, because he's about to get a promotion in turn, and, and DVOA, they don't do like defensive line or anything like that. We can look at that when we look at specific players over at PFF, it'll make it a little bit more interesting, but just for the sake of, of our observation, Buffalo was second in pass defense 20th in rush defense. So stopping the pass compared to stopping the run. So they weren't super great at stopping the run. They were second best at stopping the pass. In 2014, he uh, becomes the assistant defensive line coach. So again, even if we can hone in on the defensive line, which we can't exactly, he's the assistant. So, but whatever. In 2014, Buffalo again is third. This time they're number one in pass defense and 12th in rush defense. So they improved everywhere, but massively as far as their run defense goes. 2015 is when he gets the outside linebacker job. For whatever reason, Buffalo's defense falls off a cliff. They're 24th overall, 21st against the pass, 30th, 30th against the rush. And in 2016, he gets the whole defensive line. Again, Buffalo's struggling. They're 27th uh, against the pass, 24th against the rush, 29th. Now, I, I, Generally, you'd say, well, against the rush is more important because he's got the defensive line and they've got to stop the run. Yeah, but we also understand that stopping the pass has something to do with pass rush. And again, the, the fact that we can't zoom in on a lot of these things makes me kind of feel like DVOA is somewhat useless. But it, it at least gives you an idea of the defense because you, you want a guy that came from like really good defenses. I mean, at least that's what we really liked about Pettin. His defenses were good. In 2017 is when he made a jump to the Jaguars, and again, kind of a similar thing. They were 15th the year before, second this year, number one against the pass, but 25th against the rush, kind of similar to Buffalo. 
real good defense, but it's primarily their ability to stop the pass that's kind of dominating. And again, that's not to say that, well, that's the DBs that are doing it and the defensive line sucks. Pass rush plays a big part in that, which we, you know, we kind of foreshadowed that a little bit when we read what the Packers said about him, right? Again, we'll get there. As a reminder, he was the assistant defensive line coach 2017 and 2018. In 2018, Jacksonville was down at seventh, but still, again, a top 10 defense, which is phenomenal. And again, similar to what happened in Buffalo, it became a little bit more well-rounded. Seventh against the pass, fifth against the rush. 2019, he becomes the defensive line coach. And um, similarly, there's a big fall off. They go down to 29th. And again, no, I don't think that there's a correlation between him getting a promotion to defensive line coach and the defense falling apart. But anyways, 24th against the pass, 31st against the rush. And then finally in 2020, uh, Jacksonville ranked 31st with the 31st overall pass defense and 24th overall rush defense. If you're asking what did he do in 2021, I don't know. It is a little interesting that he actually was um, on staff with the Jaguars when Hackett was there. So there would have been that connection, not that it would have anything to do with his hiring, but there would be that connection had Hackett not left. It would be kind of funny to hear that, you know, this was conversations that were had uh, via Hackett. Because remember, Hackett didn't get hired away, you know, immediately. And if we assume that these conversations have been going on for a few months, I mean, you know, maybe Hackett talked a little bit. He's like, you know, there was this guy over in Jacksonville. He's pretty good, man. Good dude. Good card player. Cool guy to be around. And so when Hackett's over there in Buffalo, you know, got Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur calling up Hackett. They put him on speakerphone. What's going on, boys? Like, oh, not much. Just thought you'd want to listen in as I uh, scoop up that uh, pass rush guy that you were talking about. I want you to listen as he accepts our offer. Speaking of, um, he also has another connection. Buffalo Bills in 2014. You know who? Nathaniel Hackett. (laughs) Hilariously enough, when he first came on in 2013 for the Buffalo Bills, the offensive coordinator was Nathaniel Hackett. The defensive coordinator was Mike Pettin. So at the very least, I mean, and look, this is, so the Jaguars were pure garbage. And I don't know if this is exactly how this works, but, you know, we're, we're in the realm of conspiracy theories. And it's not even conspiracy theories because there's no conspiring. It's just a, a kind of an off-the-wall theory. Just letting, letting the brain run wild. The Jaguars were kind of garbage, right? They were dead last in just about every category. So the guy got fired and he didn't get hired anywhere in 2021. He apparently is either applying or putting his name out there, whatever the case may be. Packers kind of get a hold of him. They're able to call references. For example, Mike Pettin and Nathaniel Hackett. Now, the question is, would they answer that? Or is it kind of like, dude, I'm, I'm with the Vikings right now or slash I'm with uh, Denver right now. I'm not going to like help you hire people. But I kind of feel like there'd be a little bit of not that, you know? Like, I would think you could, because again, these guys all want to see their good people get hired, people that have worked hard and have done all this stuff, and they both know the guy, and if they like him, they're not going to be like, I'm not helping you hire him. Dude, he's been out of a job. He's got a family. You know what I mean? You're not going to be like, no, he's a good dude for sure. You should hire him. Of course they would. I mean, if he's a piece of garbage or whatever, maybe they would be honest about it, but I don't think they would have any problems if they even remember the guy, Mike Pettin or Nathaniel Hackett, to be like, I remember him. He's a good dude. But anyways... The final thing to look at here, because it's really the only thing we care about, because he is our pass rush guy. That's, that's his only job. Like, I don't care about anything except our edge rushers. Like, what can you do for Rashawn Gary? What can you do for maybe Preston Smith, Whitney Merciless, or whoever it is we end up drafting in the first round this year that's going to make Packers mad? Because we already have pass rushers. So if we look at when he first arrived, who do, who do you have over in Buffalo? Guys that have been there for a very long time. Guys like Jerry Hughes. Um, guys like uh, Mario Williams, right? 
really all that matters is, is there some kind of a really big spike in the time in which he was there, specifically when he was the defensive line slash outside linebacker coach, whatever. For Mario Williams, no. He kind of hit his really high patch between 2010 and 2014. 2010 and 2011, he was with the Houston Texans. If you look at Jerry Hughes, um, he's it's kind of a tough call here. Pretty much since 2013, I guess you would say, is when he really took off. He was with Indy for three years and was not very good. Didn't even play a ton, but 2013 is when he went to Buffalo, and that's when he really started to improve. But remember, in 2013, he was the defensive quality control coach, so you can't really give that to Jason very much. They also had a pass rusher at the time by the name of Manny Lawson. Um, He really kind of had a stretch from 2009 to 2013, so uh, just up until our guy took over. So no, nothing really with Manny Lawson either. You've also got uh, Jarius Wynn. Jarius Wynn was never really very good. He was only there in 2014. That was his final year, and he, although it was his best year, so maybe you give him half credit for that. Um, Lorenzo Alexander, he had a stint in Buffalo that started in 2016. Um, you could say there was a bit of a resurgence because the guy was never very good. Um, and then he comes to Buffalo, 76 overall grade. He had an 86 in 2018. The problem is uh, our guy wasn't there in 2018, and also in 2015 in Oakland was actually his best year, right the year before he went to Buffalo. So it's hard to give Buffalo and the pass rushers credit for something that actually started in 2015, the year prior, when he was with a different team. Uh, Shaq Lawson was with Buffalo starting in 2016, but he didn't really take off until 2018, which, well, not even really take off, but is his really only good year was 2018, and that was after our guy left. And then finally, you got Laurenti McRae. Uh, he just spent one year there in 2016 between Denver and Jacksonville. Was there any marked improvement? No. It was His grades were 75 as a rookie, then 63, 65, 68, 64, 67, and 60. So there's, there's no spike. There's no dip. There's no nothing. So, I mean, they had good defenses. They had really good pass rushers. It's just hard to attribute that to the guy that we hired because everybody that was good was good prior to him being there. And there was nobody that I saw that showed up that either wasn't good and became good, or for example, fell off after he left. Nothing like that. It was it was generally a lot of consistency across multiple teams that didn't seem to be impacted by coming to Buffalo at all. Uh, what about Jacksonville starting in 2017? Well, you got your primary guys, Calais Campbell, Yannick Ngakwe, you got Dante Fowler, you got Dwayne Smoot. You also got Laurenti McRae. He's back again. Again, McRae did not change. I mean, he, he was actually with Jacksonville this whole stretch here. But again, there was no change whatsoever. Uh, Dwayne Smoot, and, and, and this is the other thing too, because there's also development of young talent. Dwayne Smoot was a third round pick in 2017. That was his first year that he was uh, there. He was the assistant defensive line coach, took over a defensive line in 2019. But this is, this is what you have to do is develop guys like this. Now, maybe he's just a bad pick and he's a bad football player. I don't know. But he's been with Jacksonville since 2017. He's never really been any good. Um, his best year was 2021 when our guy was not even there with 50 pressures on uh, 421 attempts and seven sacks. His first sack came in 2019 when he had a 45 overall grade. He had 291 attempts, 18 pressures. So that was not very good. Dante Fowler might be the biggest, like, oh no thing. Uh, granted, he wasn't in Jacksonville super long um, and he left halfway through 2018, but this is a number three overall pick. And granted, he didn't really go to LA or Atlanta and make much hay there either. So again, he's probably just a really bad pick. But um, again, a number three overall pick, he was with Jacksonville for two and a half years, 
2016, 2017, half of 2018, and he just could not get anything done there. He was not able to be developed. Then you got Yannick Ngakwe. Yannick Ngakwe, again, pretty solid 2017, 2018, 2019. Those were his best years before 2020 when he went to Minnesota and everybody thought he was going to be great. By the way, 2017 was absolutely his best year by far. If we had started here, you could look at this and start getting excited. The the problem I have is it's hard to say that this is directly attributable to um, Jason Rebrovich when we haven't really seen that anywhere else. In other words, you're you're bound to find somebody that has either a, a spike around the time that he's with Jason. And again, his best year was 2017 when Jason was an assistant defensive line coach. He had 82 pressures and 14 sacks in 2017 when he was an assistant, 64 pressures, 10 sacks when he was an assistant. Then 2019, when Jason took over the defensive line in its entirety, he dropped to 51 pressures and 8 sacks, just barely over 10%. And finally, you've got Calais Campbell, another guy that was just dominant in that entire stretch, 90, 90, and then 90 in 2019 before he left for Baltimore. The problem is, This guy really started in 2011 with Arizona, 71, 76, 75, then it goes up to 82, 84, and then 2016, Arizona, 91.2. So again, by the time Jacksonville decided we should go get this guy in 2017, he wasn't developed into a monster. He had become a monster, right? It started the year prior. So listen, I'm not I'm not knocking Jason Rebrovich. I mean, again, this is the same thing we've looked at with everybody else. Matt LaFleur's track record scared me. Um... Joe Barry's track record scared me. The point is, we're not necessarily looking for everything that we think we're looking for. You know, if if you can't prove to me that you've developed guys, then you're useless. If you haven't won with other defenses, you're useless, right? Again, Mike Pettin should have been the greatest defensive coordinator of all time. We looked at his stats. We looked at his track record. It's hard to find too many defensive coordinators with more success in the league. He came here and did what? Underperformed. Joe Barry comes in with a terrible record, and although you could still argue that we underperformed as a defense, we at least saw glimmers of what could make this defense special. We saw, what, four or five games where it was like, oh my goodness, including a shutout. And by the way, the defense almost won us that game in which we scored almost no points. And if special teams would have tightened it up, we could have basically almost scored no points and still won the game. Because San Francisco scores almost zero points without the assistance of special teams. In fact, somebody made the case that they would score zero points. I don't exactly know that that's true and maybe stretching the truth slightly, but I mean, the, the the defense had its moments, and if you're if you're concerned with what you know, okay, we can win in the regular season, but we need a team that can win in the postseason. This is a defense that stepped up and had one of its best games when it mattered most. So it's not always just about the record. I want to be able to get excited about something. Same with Mike Smith, but again, I think anybody and and, and fans will do this a lot, including some you know guys who are writers and whatnot who do a really good job. Podcasters, writers, they're they're not you know they're not on my bad list. But generally, there's a tendency to want to hype guys up. So you might hear reports kind of similar to what I read about the Packers, about how he presided over this defense that was this, that, or the other. I don't really see a track record of, of massive improvement of pass rushers. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have anything to offer. And, and again, his, his, his role is largely to help supplement what Joe Barry wants to do with this defense. And Joe Barry needs something. Again, there's no reason to move on from Mike Smith. And, and, you know, maybe that was all Mike Smith. I don't know. But if there was any kind of a rift, how, how could that be possible? Because he's so good at his job. But, it, but again, I think we just have a super hyper-focused view of what his job is. Make this pass rusher a sack monster. But in reality, and I can't even speak to 10% of what it would be, he's got a, a much broader job role than that. 
right? I mean, I, I feel like we picture like with special teams coach is he goes out there and he's like, all right, check this out. Here's what you do. When you, when you, when you catch it, Mr. Punt returner, you're going to go forward, forward, sidestep, sidestep, swipe, move, spin, spin, run, touchdown, right? Like it's just this uh, hyper-specific, like he's really good at like teaching moves and like getting in your head and, and providing that sort of upgrade. And, and, and again, I think if we look at it more as a support role and, and filling in the blanks of what Joe Barry needs, we need this on defense, whether that be energy, uh, an understanding of certain concepts, something to kind of help us in the direction that we're building, which by the way, remind me, that's a very important point I need to make after this and I hope I don't forget. That's going to be an important component. And so whereas we would like a guy that just has a great track record like Mike Smith, and I, I'm, I'm a huge fan, obviously, of Mike Smith for every conceivable reason, his record, what he did here, his press conferences, how hyped he gets about his own guys, everything about Mike Smith was basically perfect. I mean, he, he really is the ideal coach because that's what we want as fans. We want guys that have great track records. We hire them. We say it's a great hire, and it is a great hire. That's like the ideal thing. It just doesn't usually work out that way, but with Mike, it did. So again, this is the problem I don't like with, with coaching because you go in-depth and you look at absolutely everything and you say, okay, so what's the conclusion? And I go, I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea because the actual criteria has nothing to do with what we just looked at. That's more just an interesting little side note, and it's also the only thing I can provide to you context of his history and what he's done. And by the way, there's nothing not beneficial about the fact that he's worked with guys like Yannick Ngakwe. Because in a weird way, there's the, the, the coaching and teaching is a two-way street. You think Jason didn't learn anything from Yannick and watching how he operates and some of the things he did and being able to coach young and old guys and, and learn little techniques here and there that maybe he can apply elsewhere. It's, it's one of the benefits of a guy that's just well-traveled. Even if he hasn't had the greatest track record, he just has a wealth of information, and, and there's, certain, there's, there's not as many situations he hasn't seen. We've got a guy that's got this one particular hang-up. You know what? I actually worked with a guy back in 2014. We had a guy on the team, you know, Dwayne Smoot. He had a similar issue, and what we did to kind of over... You know what I mean? We, we overcame that with X. That's also why I don't mind coaching turnover. I've been talking about this a lot lately. Sometimes it's just new eyes. You don't want to fire a guy just for the sake of firing a guy. And again, not everything is just about teaching guys move, but there is an element of, you know, you've, you've kind of taught Rashawn what you know, and you bring somebody else in here, even if he's not as talented or, or proficient or good at this job as Mike Smith is, he has different information. And that different information can be provided to Rashawn Gary and whoever else to make them better at their job. And again, it's not like we lose that. It's not like, well, Rashawn's going to lose everything Mike Smith gave him. Why would he? Is he just going to forget it? Is he going to steal it back? Like, you, this is proprietary information. You have to unremember it? Of course not. So anyways, before we take a break here, I want to talk about um, the quarterback hiring thing because even though it's very, very self-evident, it's also kind of an angle that we haven't talked about while we talk about all the broad conspiracy theories and everything else. What I just said about um, Jason Rebrovich is for some of these hirings, it has to do not just with what we need this year, but what we're doing for the future. Again, we, we already know this, and I, I know there's going to be a bunch of people saying, well, duh, but just, just bear with me. Based on our decision to hire a quarterback coach for Aaron Rodgers, what does that tell us about what the team wants to do? Because we, we always looked at it as, what is Rodgers going to do? This tells us that Rodgers is coming back. You know, this tells us that, you know, whatever. And it, it's not even so much about wooing. It's, it's not just that this is a sign that Rodgers is coming back. It's also a sign that we're kind of ready to, I don't want to necessarily say move on from Jordan Love, and I, I know he's still a quarterback coach and he can still teach Jordan Love stuff, but this is not the hire for Jordan Love. I'm sorry, it's just not. You don't hire this guy for Jordan Love. 
I just, I just, I, I refuse to believe that the absolute number one best hire for Jordan Love also happens to be one of Rogers' closest friends and a guy that Rogers admires and a guy that Rogers desperately wants to be his quarterback coach. Like, what the, what a massive coincidence that is. Well, he also t- coached Kyler, so he's good with young quarterbacks. Blah blah. blah. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not buying it. If Matt Lafleur wants to develop Jordan Love, you know what he needs. He needs a guy that that bridges the gap between quarterbacks and Matt LaFleur's system. There needs to be a connection to Matt LaFleur and what Matt LaFleur wants out of quarterbacks. And there is a wealth of quarterback coaches that can do just that. Whether that be guys from within within Green Bay's organization or outside, there's, there's plenty of guys that have had experience in this sort of Shanahan system that can also develop guys that have Jordan Love-type attributes. And I'm sorry, Kyler Murray is not Jordan Love. Well, Jordan Love can run. No, not, not really. Jordan Love can run like Aaron Rodgers can run. He's not Lamar Jackson. He's not Kyler Murray. So there isn't a direct parallel there. And also, we don't want Jordan Love to be Aaron Rodgers. We accept Aaron Rodgers being Aaron Rodgers because he's Aaron freaking Rodgers. So he's allowed to be a little bit outside of the scope of what the perfect, most ideal quarterback for the Matt LaFleur system would be. But if we have intention, and again, this might be duh for a lot of people, but it, it hit me as profound the other day. This isn't just, we can't let go of Rodgers because he's MVP. This is a definitive move in a direction. Jordan Love was a bad decision, not necessarily at the time, but in, using hindsight was the wrong decision. We are moving away from Jordan Love and toward Aaron Rodgers. And this quarterback coach telegraphs that because we are stunting his development in this system by hiring a guy that Aaron Rodgers wants. And that is best for Aaron Rodgers because that's what we want because he is our quarterback of the future. Because you're, again, you're not just helping Rodgers, you're hurting Love and his ability to be the guy that you need him to be. If he is your future, this is the wrong decision because he needs a good quarterback coach a lot more than Aaron Rodgers does. And so I, I, I had kind of contemplated that it doesn't have to be, maybe we can hang on to Jordan. You know, we can kind of write out this contract and maybe, you know, I mean, we're not going to guarantee his fifth year, obviously, because we can't afford it, but we'll, we'll see, you know. But I just, I don't, I don't think that's going to make sense. We're going to give Aaron Rodgers a contract. That contract is going to be, even if it's three years, you know, this year and two more years, the only way Jordan takes over after that is if we offer him a contract. And even if it's low for a starter, even if let's say it's 20 million a year, which is low, it's too much to pay Aaron Rodgers more than anybody else and have a $20 million backup. We can't do that, especially when the backup is not even proven to be good enough to be a backup, much less maybe a starter. So then you start getting into the question of, well, are we going to trade Jordan Love? And then the question is when? Because again, I don't know if you want to just let him walk necessarily. I think there are teams that would be willing to get something for him. I don't know. I mean, it's maybe a little too early to worry about it. We have him for two more years at three million bucks. And we got to see what happens with Aaron Rodgers. I don't know. At the very least, we can ride out the next two years. Maybe Aaron Rodgers has a devastating injury, right? That's obviously going to suck for a lot of reasons. But, but you know, they don't have to make a decision this year. Um, I think in 2023, though, is when it becomes kind of a question because a team may want to bring him on prior to needing to exercise the fifth option so that they can exercise the option if they so choose. Gives them the ability to have him in 2023 for $3.9 million, as well as the ability to exercise one more year for a relatively cheap price tag, at least for a quarterback, if they really like the guy. So I think we've got at least one more year of let's see how it goes. But again, the hiring of a quarterback coach that, and again, I understand that any quarterback coach can make Jordan Love good at stuff. This is not the ideal pick to get Jordan Love ready to play in Matt LaFleur's system. This is not. 
And so he's floundering on his own. He's got to figure out if, if, if he's going to take over somewhere, somehow, whether it be the Packers or somewhere else, he's just got to just light it up in 2022. In which case, the Packers are really just going to be pissed. <laughs> just why can't we ever? All right, Aaron Rodgers isn't doing well. Let's get Jordan Love. Aaron Rodgers becomes MVP. Jordan Love doesn't do anything. Dang it. All right, let's keep Aaron Rodgers. That was a mistake. Let's get rid of Jordan Love. Aaron Rodgers declines. Jordan Love takes off, but we can't afford to get rid of Rodgers. Dang it. <laughs> again, in a sense, good problems to have, but that would suck. But anyways, again, just just kind of a, a, a thought that pushes things further in that direction. It also just makes it even more absurd, the idea that they're doing this to try to woo him. Absolutely not. You don't do this unless it's a done deal. If they did, this is insane to me. But why don't we go ahead and take a little break? Just go relax. Go, get, go refill the coffee, which I probably will actually be doing. Go get a snack, juice box, whatever you got to do. If you're able, it would be wonderful if you could uh, help to get Drew his seizure service dog. Again, Drew is a uh, longtime listener, big Packer fan. He was diagnosed with epilepsy and has decided that um, he would... What would be best for him is to get a seizure service dog, and these are not very cheap. We have been able to raise a massive amount of money, and that is super fantastic. There are actually pictures on his GoFundMe. Again, go to my uh, Twitter, pack underscore daddy is pinned to the top. He took some pictures of these dogs, really, really great looking dogs. Um, and again, we've, we've raised a lot of money, but it's been about two weeks since we've had any donations. So if you, if you have anything, if you have $5, $10, if you can do absolutely anything to help Drew to get a little closer to his goal, to be able to, to get help with his, um, his medical needs, that would be greatly appreciated. Also, please do not forget about amodernfrontier.com. That is A-M-O-D-E-R-N-F-R-O-N-T-I-E-R because, you know, some people might not know how to spell frontier. I'll pretend that I'm not one of them. I mean, I know now. I just, you know, at the time it was kind of, how does this work? But it's a great place to get some really high-quality meats, one-eighth grass-fed beef box, butcher's dozen ground beef, or one-quarter pastured pork box. I, I was able to purchase the grass-fed beef box. So far, again, beef hot dogs are out of this world. Burgers are delicious. I've, I've been just slamming down the roasts because I'm, I'm slow rolling the steaks. I've had one. I tried to pick out what the lowest quality steak was, and I told my buddy, he's like, dude, I love those. I'm like, I didn't say it was bad. I'm just trying to gauge what the lowest one was. But I got, I got to get some beef tips rocking, man. I'm real excited about that. And then I think on Sunday, Sunday I think might be New York Strip Day. It's going to be 51 degrees. I got to get some, some, some meat over some flames, man. And the absolute last thing I'm going to eat is that ribeye steak, which is just a massive, ridiculous steak. This thing is, <laughs> not saying I would want to, but you could easily just walk up to somebody and knock them clean out with that steak. It is a bone-in ribeye monster. But uh, just to give you some insight, you got ribeye, New York strip, sirloin steak, round steak. You got the stew meat, which are like the beef tips. Uh, filet mignon, which I love. I know it's um, in, the, in, the, in the steak world, the grilling world, it's like... Nah. Filet mignon, bleh, it's not, there's, there's no fat in it, it's too lean. It's like, dude, I don't care. I love, I love filet mignon. I grew up as a kid. That was like the, the go to, um, what the heck is the name of that place? It's kind of like Texas Roadhouse, but it's not Texas Roadhouse. It's Texas something. It was like the original throw the shells on the floor place. But we would go maybe once or twice a year, super special thing. And you get the filet mignon wrapped in bacon with like a half rack of ribs. Oh, just, just the best thing in the world. So I'm a big filet fan. Uh, rump or sirloin tip roast, chuck roast, ground beef patties, beef hot dogs, and ground beef. And, and I'm talking like 10 packages of ground beef. I'm eating so many tacos, it's crazy. 
and I'm super happy about the these. I mean, you get six packages, six one pound packages, and in each package there's like six hot dogs. So six packages of six hot dogs, and these hot dogs are like if you're familiar with Chicago style all beef hot dogs, these are some of the best. It's like take the best Portillo's hot dog you've ever had and like amplify the flavor a little bit, like make it a little more flavor. It's just it's stupid good. But anyways, head over to amodernfrontier.com. Use promo code MEATPACKER. That's one word, all caps. You're going to get $25 off, which is substantial because, again, these are slightly smaller boxes. So we're already talking about pretty cheap meat, and you're going to get a discount on top of that. Um, And the only question is, after I finish this, am I going back for beef or should I go for pork? I don't know. I don't know what to do. Shoulder roast, smoked ham roast, pork chops. You get four 9 to 12-ounce pork chops, two 6 to 8-ounce pork chops. So you get varieties of pork chops. Two pounds of bacon, spare ribs, breakfast sausage, breakfast links, brats, ground pork. Oh my goodness, man. Oh, this is just all I need in my life. Anyways, modernfrontier.com. Check it out. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So there's a lot to cover and a lot to get to, but um, I have been very much neglecting Patreon. I've been trying to get some stuff done, but I've, I've almost exclusively been doing the podcast in the morning these days. I thought I was rewarding myself by saying I'm not going to have to get up and do the podcast in the morning, but I was I was just completely miserable. <laughs> there's, I mean, it's just, it's so much easier to be motivated first thing in the morning than at the end of the day when you're just done with work, you know? So I want to make sure I did a, a Q&A thing, soliciting questions or whatnot. I, I, I really want to get to this, so that's what we're going to do. And whatever other news has been neglected will stay neglected for another day. But this via Zach, he says, you are now the GM of the Packers. Who are the guys you starred on your big board? And what moves are you making this offseason, including Rodgers, Adam Z, etc.? Who is your all-time favorite Packer? These are, this is like, 
This is insane. <laughs> There's so much here. All-time favorite Packer. I don't know if I can get away from Brett Favre. It, it's, it's hard because at this point, does Brett Favre bring me the most joy in my life? No, not even close. But like, is there anybody that will that I'll be a fan of as a Packer that at my peak be as much of a fan as I was of Brett Favre? I don't think so. So I'm going to say that was probably my all-time favorite Packer. Um, who are the guys you start on your big board? I'm assuming we're talking about uh, the NFL draft coming up. I still have not done a ton of work on that. Um, that's probably what I should spend my time doing today. I always talk about maybe we could do that on Patreon. I can just start watching some stuff and stream it. And if anybody wants to hang out, we can do that, I guess. I will say of the guys that I've watched, I am a fan of the wide receivers in this class. Um, specifically, Traylon Burks, Drake London. I'm trying to remember who else I was a really big fan of. Maybe it was Jamison Williams. By the way, Chris Olave, who was supposed to be way out of our reach, they did a big update on this um, NFL draft uh, consensus big board thing. Traylon Burks is going up the board to where it's becoming unreachable. You got Garrett Wilson at 12. Traylon Burks is sitting at 15. Drake London is actually at 16. He was kind of like a late first, early second guy for a while. He just keeps flying up the board. Of course, all the guys that I like, the guys that I can't really wrap my head around, like Chris Olave, he's falling down the boards. He's now sitting at 24 and is becoming within reach. I know JJ is virtually trying to punch me through the through the through his device right now, right in the neck, but um, I don't know what it is, man. Every time I see Ohio State guys, I can't get behind. I mean, Bosa I liked. Fields I liked, I guess. I don't know. Something about a lot. I, I just got to go back and watch. I didn't watch him a ton. I think there was just a lot of hype and I watched him and I just didn't quite get it. But I have not watched him at all this past year. So um, Jamison Williams sitting at 20. Uh, Jahan Dotson is generally the kind of guy that I like, but the Packers will never pick. And usually they're not very successful in the NFL, which there's there's all kinds of like prototypes that I like that I know aren't going to succeed. I like the hard hitting linebackers. Those guys suck in the NFL. Right, those are the guys that go in like the fourth or fifth round. They're just great tacklers. But that's not what anybody wants in the NFL these days. But I, I just, I like them and I appreciate them. And if they've got any amount of speed and, and, and mentally acute, in other words, they're, they're just running in the right direction at the right time, I just, you, you just, you got me all wrapped around your finger there. I like really big running backs. So, you know, huge fan of A.J. Dillon types, which is fine. But uh, I like power backs. Again, not super popular in the NFL. But Jahan Dotson is sort of the smaller, speedier guy that can just run away from everybody, which in my mind, the separation is key. Now, that doesn't always translate. But I mean, if you if you can just stick your foot in the ground and fly past somebody, I just I'm, I'm you got me, you got me. So um, definitely have more work to do on the draft as a whole. But again, I know for a fact Traylon Burks and Drake London I was big fans of. But uh, again, unfortunately, it looks like they're going to be out of our reach because they are flying up the boards right now, um, which makes me feel good about my assessment, I guess. He also says, what moves are you making this offseason? It's too big of a question right now because I don't know if we have any money and, and if we do, what do we need? Do we need a wide receiver? Did we address it in the draft? So um, I think we can start answering that question once we get some clarity on who's staying and who's going. Uh, you can at least start exploring who the free agents are, assuming you even have any money to explore anything. You probably got to look at cheaper options. Um, but then you still have the problem of primarily you're going to want to address this in the draft or at least see what we do in the draft. So it's a little early for that. So I don't know. I will say that at the very least, I would like some special teams development, specifically a long snapper that has to be addressed. I mean, the guy we have is just, it's never going to work. So if we don't draft him or pick up an undrafted free agent or whatever, we have to go get somebody. And if you got to slightly overpay, overpaying for a long snapper is like overpaying for bread, which I don't know if I've mentioned before, but I actually did get into my arg an argument with my wife several years ago about bread, and it was the dumbest argument in the world. 
because I'm like, why are you splurging so much? And splurging on bread at the absolute most is like five bucks. And it, it probably was, it was probably like $3 compared to the bread that I buy, which is 99 cent white bread. So stupid. Like it, it, if you're going to splurge, splurge on something that's basically free anyways. Uh, honey, I got the good rice. <laughs> like the month's supply that was $4 instead of $2. How dare you? So yeah, splurging on a long snapper is, it's a rounding error. But he also says, um, what moves you make in this offseason, including Rogers, Adams, Z, et cetera, et cetera. Rogers stays. Um, Adams, I'm, I'm actually a little bit indifferent to. Um, I know that's going to cause a lot of riots and whatnot, but the Packers are going to keep Devontae. I mean, it's just, it's just built into their philosophy. You don't let guys like that go, and I completely understand it. Um, I am somewhat of a Ted Thompsonite to a fault, and I acknowledge that, just like I acknowledge I like certain guys in the draft that are not very good. I, I really am covetous of draft picks, and I'm really covetous of the, the salary cap. I want as much money to be able to play with as possible. And um, similar to kind of being indifferent about Aaron Rodgers, obviously we're better with him than without him, but if we move on, we got a lot of benefit. Devontae, if he's going to take up $25, 26000000 million worth of cap, I mean, I'm, I, I'm not blind to the fact that that sucks a lot. I mean, a lot. Do I want him gone? Absolutely not. Am I going to try to resign him? Yes, but it's, it's not going to be at all costs. I'm going to make a ridiculous offer, fully acknowledging that the salary cap is going to go up and we're going to structure it in a way that makes sense and, and, and also acknowledging, you know, he maybe has two, three, four at the most good years left. But if he does not accept that offer, I mean, there's always the franchise tag, but if, but if he doesn't accept the offer, then, then I'm willing to let him go. And, and you know, again, tag and trade if need be. So um, I would love very much to keep Devontae. He's one of the best players in the NFL period. But um, I'm not willing to destroy the team for, for anybody, quarterback, wide receiver, whatever. And um, I don't exactly know what that, that number is. And, and again, it's, it's a ridiculous, nonsensical, nonsensical topic because they're going to keep Adams. I guess I shouldn't say that 100%, but just, just based on what the Packers generally do, and granted, we're in uncharted territory, so maybe not, but the way the Packers generally operate, they're never going to let a guy like Adams go. And they shouldn't. I mean, that's draft and develop. The point of draft and develop is you focus on the draft, you develop your players, and then you play them. It doesn't do any good to draft, develop, and then get rid of them when they get good, right? Um, Zadarius Smith is gone. Sounds like he might already be gone. He scrubbed his social media, et cetera, um, whatever. Like many people on social media have already pointed out, we knew this was going to be a thing anyways. Zadarius's contract is, is you can't get past it. And the fact that he didn't play at all last year makes it even harder. And, and really, I mean, again, he had one good year. The year he won the Pro Bowl, he had a massive step back. And we can blame it on double teams, this, that, or the other. I, that's fine. But he wasn't really able to overcome those double teams either, was he? Statistics were not that good. There was a really big drop-off that year. And again, his, his year in 20, uh, 2019 was unsustainable. He was never going to be able to replicate that. And it's great that, I mean, he, he overperformed his contract, which is fantastic, because we paid him a lot of money. But there, there is no 2019 Zadarius coming back. That, that guy is never going to come back. And he's a year older. He's coming off a basically year-long injury. And despite the fact that it was really cool that he came back and got a sack and everyone's like, see, he's still a monster, that game actually wasn't very good for him. He graded out poorly. His stats were actually really bad. It just so happens that on one play, and it was like the first play of the game, basically, I think, or very close to it, he got a sack. So it looked, the optics were great. But um, that ain't going to happen. Jair's getting an extension for every reason ever. Uh, The idea of getting rid of Jair is the most insane thing I've ever heard. Um, Jair is a priority over Devontae by a million. I mean, he, th- this is prime 
draft and develop. Devontae is going on his third contract. Jair is looking for his first big contract, technically his second contract. But I mean, it's, I don't even know why it would be worth discussing. And also, it's not a matter of things get more expensive. It's a matter of things get cheaper because you offer him a contract and you structure it so that the cap hit actually goes down this year. So we're saving money. So it's a necessity for that reason too. We have to get his contract down because he's kind of expensive right now. Um, I mean, I don't want to go through the whole roster, but I mean, those are, those are, I guess, some of the highlights. I want Amos to stay desperately. I know everybody's real big on Devondre and for the price, I get it. But if I had to choose between Devondre and Amos, it would be Amos without a question, even at a higher price tag. I'm, I'm just a little worried about Devondre's regression. Uh, he played way above his ability. I, I don't expect him to be able to do what he did again. That doesn't mean he's going to be terrible. Same with Razul Douglas. Uh, you know, maybe it's just a great fit in the system and all that and everything works and it's, it's great, but I, I don't expect a repeat, and I, especially when, when the price tag is going to go way up. I mean, again, relatively cheap for the production we got last year. I don't know if it'll be cheap for the production we're going to get next year. Amos has been the most steady, consistent player in the NFL. I mean, the guy has just been consistently a top 10 safety every year, just every year, just solid. Even on a down year like this year, he figured it out. He brought it back together and was a great safety down the stretch. Um, but anyways, I want to move on to another question. That's that's as good as I got for that. Wayne, in a similar line, says, what is your one-year max for Aaron Tay, Z, Preston, and Jair? This is really hard. Um, Tay, I'm, I'm not going above 25. I know that for a fact. And and if you want to play silly games, be like, what if it's 25 and a half? I don't know. Maybe, I guess. I don't, I don't, I don't know. 25 even makes me uncomfortable. But again, it's hard to reframe, like, where are we at right now with the cap? Because every time we think about numbers, we always think about what it meant last year and and maybe even a little bit the year before, because there's a lag in our understanding of how much a contract is worth. Because again, the the salary cap continues to go up and it's going up rapidly. So what used to be 20 million was a lot of money. I mean, again, I still remember when Aaron, when uh, Brett Favre got a $10 million a year contract and it was like, good Lord. Remember when Aaron Rodgers was broke into the 20s and it was like, how are we ever going to be able to afford this? It's laughable now. We're looking into the 40s and, and touching up into the 50s right now. So what is now 45 million in in the short span of three years is going to be child's play. So that also makes things kind of complicated. Um, and there's also the structure that makes it, you know, how many years are we talking about? How is this going to be laid out? What 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 kind of a position are we going to be in in you know next year or the year after that or the year after that? Are we completely doomed based on this? Are you going to, you know, I I don't like the idea of forty five million for Aaron Rodgers, but it sounds like that's roughly where it's going to be. And I think if this if this if this is what it seems to be, which is this is not a a run it back. This is not a one more year thing. This is not a maybe Jordan Love takes over in the future. This is, okay, you want to play well into your 40s? You want to play another five years until you're 45? Let's do it. Let's do a four or five year extension. Let's do this. Like for real, let's do it. No more dancing around. No more playing around. We're, we're doing this. Five years. We got 2022, three, four, five, and six, right? It's a four year extension or whatever it is. Why not? Like, I mean, are you committed? Are you doing, let's do this. Then 45 million is, is a drop in the bucket. I would, I would, I would sign him to a five-year, like in total this year and four more, forty-five million. I wouldn't blink at that because again, in three years, everybody's going to pass. And by the time his count, contract's up, he's getting paid pennies. Um, and, and it's kind of similar with Devonte, right? Because I mean, he's still at his peak, and you have to know that the decline is coming. And that's sort of the problem with with him compared to Aaron Rodgers, because we've seen, you know, with quarterback, if you take care of your body, you can kind of prolong it a little bit. I don't know how true that is with Devonte. I mean, his, his game isn't necessarily speed, so that, that's probably going to help. It's a very mental thing, and it's, it's very precision route running type stuff. 
which, you know, fast twitch muscle fibers type stuff, maybe that all comes into play, which gets deteriorated over time as you get older. I don't know. But I mean, if, if you're a straight line speed guy, that becomes kind of a problem. I don't really know what else to say other than it's tough because I don't know if I want it to be a super long contract because then we're, we're hamstringing ourselves to a guy that's, that's going to be, probably begin his decline this year. That doesn't mean bad. It just means, you know, it, he's, he's got to come down sometime. And he's been hovering at the top for so long. Every year I say he's got to start coming down and he hasn't, but he will start coming down at some point. And I have to assume if it's not this year, it's definitely next year. So unlike Aaron Rodgers, where you say, well, let's do five years, six years, whatever. It's like, nah, I don't know, man. Because you start to see that decline and it just starts to, yeah, you got to start, you know, we, we talked about you got to start looking at replacing Aaron Rodgers. The Packers have to start looking at replacing Devante. And I don't mean this year or next year, but you want to find that premier guy so that in three years, when you get to the point where, you know, Devante is still under contract or even in two years, but he's getting really expensive and he's starting to decline. You've got a guy that's that's basically on Devontae's level, at least at that point in time, and he's ascending and he's becoming this great playmaker. And you kind of say, you know what? I think it's time to move on. I think we've got a guy, Devontae's, you know, 31 or however old he's going to be. So, you know, it's it's tough because you can't do short-term big money. You can't do long-term big money, even though that would be better on the on the cap because then you're kind of putting yourself in a position where you're going to have Devontae too long. And you can't do small money because he won't accept it. So I, I don't really know. The only number that keeps coming to mind is is if he'll take 25-ish for three-ish years and we can we think we can stretch that out in the cap, I guess we'll do that. I, I don't know. It's tough. It's a it's a tough situation. But but again, you can't let the guy go. Z, there's no there's no there's no number. His he has too much money outstanding for us to to be able to do that. So he's gotta go. Maximum for Preston? That's see, Preston's really tough because he killed it last year. He was on that one-year prove-it deal, and he proved it. And he was—he's going to want to get paid as though what he did last year is what's going to—is what's going to be forever. And I, and I can almost guarantee you, it's going to be a Nick Perry situation. Maybe not that bad, but he performed his best year ever by a lot. I don't expect that to repeat. And so, um, if he's willing to be, I guess, humble, which isn't necessarily even the right move for him. It's just a matter of if he is with the team and saying, "Yeah, I, I agree that I probably won't be able to do that again." Which again, he was not going to do that or say that. His agent would not allow that to be a thing. It's, this is what you got, this is what you get, and you will pay him accordingly, is, is going to be the position of Preston and his agent. But I don't want to pay Preston based on that. And, and if he's looking for 2021 money, like what I did in 2021 is who I am, and you're going to pay me like that, he's gone. I'm sorry. Because he will not produce that. And then again, you're at a point where what we want to do is maximize the dollar per production, and you're going negative with Preston in a big way. Preston Smith is a guy that overperformed. He's going to be your number two pass rusher behind Rashawn, who's a guy that not only is, is going to be our number one going forward, but is also a guy we have to remember that's getting massively paid soon. And so if we have Preston Smith on a contract and we give him a lot of money and we kind of backload it and his contract explodes around the time when we have to pay Rashawn, that's untenable. We cannot do that. That's not an option. If anything, we give Preston Smith a contract that we can completely get out of by the time Rashawn's contract, at least by the time his contract balloons. But um, his average base salary was $13 million to get him here. Obviously, he's not going to take less than that. I mean, he's, he's, he's 30, right? Or he's at least turning 30 this year. So th- there's kind of the competing things, right? You're, you're older now, but also $13 million. If you wanted to give me $13 million again, fine, but give me $13 million in 2022 money, right? We're adding inflation to that. So I'll take the same contract, but $13 million is now $16 million or whatever. So I, I don't know. I, I don't like just throwing around random numbers. There's just, it's just kind of gut feeling. And, and even my gut feeling, I don't know, because like in my head, I'm thinking like 14, 15-ish, which is, is again, backloaded. So he's going to be under 10. 
but how long-term do we even want Preston? It can't be that backloaded if you want to be able to get out after a year or two. I think the reality is for the Packers, I mean, they, they, they love pass rushers and you need them. And, and, you know, there's some truth to the nonsense claim that you can never have too many, which, of course, again, you can. So you, you want as many as you can get. But I, I think the Packers see Rashawn as the future. And I think they're planning on drafting more pass rushers in the future. So, so I don't think they feel the pressure of we have to keep Preston. So I think it has to be a reasonable number. If he's looking for 17, 18, 19, and he can get it somewhere else, he's gone. If he's in the 13, 14, 15 range for another two, three years, if he's willing to do that, yeah. But I, I, I don't have any idea really um, what he's expected. I mean, if, if you look at the market value for Preston right now, according to Track, it says 12.2, which again is less than he made before, which is a lot, lot less when you factor in again the inflation factor. So basically he's down to like 10 million if you look at compared to the, the, the contract he got before. I'm kind of making that up, but let's just say. But again, if he's willing to take a pay cut, which is what that is, if he's like, I'll, I'll do 10 million for two years or whatever, yeah, and we'll, we'll do 7 million this year or something. I don't know. But it's also hard because you got to look at the full picture. And I'm not looking at a full spreadsheet of if you sign him to this, what is that? How does that impact everything else in our ability to do that? It's tough. So I'm, again, I'm just going off gut feeling. And Jair, Jair is going to get paid stupid money, you know? And, and I mean, we can say, well, you know, he only had the one good year and he was injured last year. That doesn't matter. His agent is going to look them dead in the face and say, you need to get under, you know, you want to keep Jair, one of the most young, promising. I mean, if you asked anybody in the NFL, you get to pick one corner. I don't know if it would be Jair, but I promise you he's a, he's a top five option in the NFL based on his youth, based on his, his, how well he plays. I guarantee some of these teams are picking him number one. And when you factor in how uh, incredibly important cornerback is, he's one of the more valuable players. And so again, the, the benefit here is it's going to be a long-term contract and it's going to be structured so that, you know, it's not going to be a big cap hit. Probably the first two years, it's not going to be a big deal. And then it'll balloon, but it'll balloon um, around the time the salary cap will balloon. So it's, it's going to hurt, but not as bad as it's going to look at first when we look at it and go, year three, we're doomed. No, it's going to hurt, but we're not doomed. But um, I mean, you, you got to understand, we're, we're in the $20 million a year for a cornerback territory. Jalen Ramsey got $20 million. Marshawn Lattimore was at 19.5. Marlon Humphrey, 19.5. Um, so I, I think Jair is looking at $20 million. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a $21 million a year contract, which is crazy because if he gets a five-year contract, we're talking about a cornerback breaking $100 million. I mean, Marshawn Lattimore was close. He got a five-year $97.6 million deal. Um, Jalen did get five years $100 million. I didn't know it was five years for him, but he did. So he, he, he cracked that hundred. So Jair's not getting signed for less than a hundred million dollars in total with guarantees, you know, upwards of, of you know, beyond $70 million. It's going to be a stupidly ridiculous contract. And if it's not, then kudos to the Packers for, for somehow working that out and, and working the, you know, you've had an injury angle or whatever, because that's insane. But yeah, if you look at like young guys that got their first big contracts, it's Marlon Humphrey, Tredavious White, Marshawn Lattimore. Tredavious 17.2, Marlon 19.5, and then Marshawn got a 19.52. Jair's going to be looking at that saying, hey, I'm next in line. It's a year later, so I want more. I'm also better than they are. So yeah, I mean, 20 is minimum. I would expect he's going to want more than that because 20 is the top and he's going to want to break the top. So whether it goes all the way to 21 or if it's like 20.5 or whatever, that's what, that's what I expect. And am I okay with that? Yes, I am. That's just, that's just the way that goes. Whew. All right, we're going we're gonna to end it on this one because we're going a little bit long, but this is, you guys are making me really think here, and this is a fun one. Aaron Nelson says, sorry, I don't usually use last names, but you'll be all right. It's a very common name. Nobody knows who you are. If you had to form a front office and coaching staff based on the characters from the office to run a football team, 
who would you have in each position? GM, head coach, offensive coordinator, and defensive coordinator. <sighs> Off the top of my head, Robert California has to be involved. The guy's a wizard, right? Some, some kind of crazed super genius. He's a little bit irresponsible, clearly. A little bit unhinged, dangerous, um, very likely to get us involved in some kind of a scandal. But I don't know that we can get away from that too much in terms of, you know, the characters of the office and whatnot. So I would lean for him to be the GM. Let's see, Michael Scott is not going to have a role. I'm sorry. His whole shtick on there is that he's incompetent, he's lazy, and that nobody respects him. So that's not going to work. Dwight, maybe. Super hardworking. Super ruthless. I would consider him for defensive coordinator. Jim Halpert. Very likable guy. Could see him in the leader role. Potential head coach candidate. Pam probably would run social media. Ryan, I don't think it's a job. Stanley? No. Kevin, probably not. Meredith? No. Angela could maybe do some kind of a role. I don't know about any of the ones described. Quality control type stuff, you know? Although that's literally Creed Bratt and quality assurance. They could both do that job. Oscar. Oscar needs a role. He is a really, really intelligent person. Um, great with numbers. I feel like he would be the right offensive coordinator. Roy maybe would be on the team. Phyllis was literally a cheerleader. Not so much in the show, but I think in real life. Jan is a psycho. Toby has given up on life. Kelly is obnoxious. Andy is way too um, mood swingy. Creed, again, we've got him a job as a quality assurance guy. Daryl, Aaron, Gabe, Holly, Robert California, Nellie Clark, Pete. I think that's where I'm leaning right now. Robert California is the GM. High risk, high reward. Maybe could even do, uh, what's her name? Joe Bennett. Joe Bennett would be a, a candidate for GM. Or why don't we just, stupid, why don't you just go with, uh, could go David Wallace? You got Josh Porter, Charles Minor. There's, there's options here, man. Danny Cordray. It's a good salesman. Could be a GM. I think to be safe... Although I like the prospect of having a super genius at GM, Davis, David Wallace is probably going to have to be the GM. I mean, if we're going to actually be serious about it, at least to some degree. Head coach, I think Jim makes sense. He's a big sports guy anyways, right? Athlete, athlete, that whole thing. Well-liked, leadership ability, classy. Offensive coordinator, I'm going Oscar. Big numbers guy, you know, smart, intelligent. And then defensive coordinator, we're going with Dwight. Kind of a ruthless. No nonsense, big time discipline guy, goju guru karate guy, you know, but also extremely hardworking, et cetera, et cetera. So there you go. You know, I'm sitting here and I'm hearing this beeping sound and I've been trying to figure out what it is. And I'm like, oh, you know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of like a patient monitor, you know, like the, the GE, you know, takes your heart rate, pulse ox, et cetera, et cetera. That's kind of what it sounds like. And then it hit me. I wonder if I'm, if I'm dying. Like, this is all just a figment of my imagination. There is no snow squall. You can't have lightning. There's no lightning in snow. That was a dream. Maybe I died in the squall because of a dragon. But I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm currently in the hospital, uh, probably in a coma, so I can vaguely hear things. If I stop talking, I maybe hear the voice of my family crying out to me, possibly. Maybe my fans gathered around the hospital with signs. But um, anyways, pretty sure I'm, I'm dead. You guys have a great day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. 